You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hi everyone, this is your host, Daniel Lee here. And I wanted to give you some background on the actual podcast. So I really like asking people what they do. And I've had jobs as a public accountant, a management consultant, and lately as a public equities investor. And in getting these roles, I had to speak to a lot of people who were already doing what I wanted to do. And it turned out that what the media and industry stereotypes say about the role is not at all accurate to what you actually do. And it was no, this was not to mention that most assumptions people set about uh, a certain individual's journey into that career field was also wrong. Um, this was because it's never as linear as people think it is. It's never as simple as you do A, then you go to B, and then you will get to do C. It's actually much more complicated than that, and that's what I realized after having spoken to over 80 different people to learn about what they did. And something I found out was that a lot of my friends had not learned this yet. Some eventually would because they have already started reaching out to people to actually learn about what they did but I also knew that many wouldn't because cold calling people really frightened them and that's completely understandable it still scares me too but I also am always extremely curious about what other people do and I love hearing about their stories so I figured maybe I can help them out with this podcast and just document what I would normally be talking about with other people. And so that's what this podcast is about. It's me finding people with career journeys that I find interesting and or they have roles that I would like to learn more about. And so I really do hope that I can add value to you in that sense as I go about selfishly using this podcast to learn more about other people and fulfill my own curiosity. Today's guest is Chris Cornell. Chris is a partner at KPMG's audit practice within their financial institutions group. And Chris has been with KPMG for about, I think, 16 years. And he is also the human resources partner, so he's in charge of the whole people landscape. And This conversation, I felt, was interesting because I find that not a lot of people actually know what partners in the big four environment do. And I mean not a lot of people as in people that actually work in the big four accounting firms. When you are in those bottom levels, many people don't know what the partners actually do. But I think it it is important to know what your boss actually does because if you don't want to be like what your boss is then you would have to look at doing something else because there's definitely a misalignment there and Chris's story is definitely a fun overview of what it is like to be a more people-focused partner someone who is an extrovert And he actually did not start out at KPMG. And so that's also a fun twist. And we even try to to dive into a bit of the equity structure that I was very curious about. Um, Because people always talk about partners being extremely well off once you become a partner. But I wanted to get shed some light on that. And so we try to explore that a little as well. Um, As well as just the pain points and the actual limitations as well as benefits that you get as being a partner of a major conglomerate. 
All right, welcome everyone. Today I'm joined by Mr. Chris Cornell. He's the partner at KPMG's financial institutions audit practice. Uh, so, you know, Chris and I, we go way back. He was my former boss about <laughs> five years ago, back in my uh, earlier audit days. And yeah, you know, Chris is your partner here. It's been about 15, 16 years at the, at the firm. firm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, like, um, this is something you expected, man? Like, you know, that's like your first question. I think you asked me this five, six years ago, probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't think anyone can honestly say that uh, when they start out at the firm that uh, it's something that, you know, you expect to eventually make partner. I think you have those, uh, you know, some goals in mind longer term and you uh, you kind of let it play out and see how, uh, you know, how partners react and, uh, and how your career is taking you. But... Um, for me, when I started out, my first goal was just to qualify, right? You know, yeah. at that time was to pass the UFI, you know, obviously the CFI uh, process and get my designation yeah. and then kind of see where that takes you. But yeah. um, once you do that, then you start to see the opportunities that, um, you know, getting your CPA presents you mm. and, uh, and taking advantage of those opportunities. So for me, it was, you know, going to the UK and working uh, on a secondment to our office in London in the UK great experience and then uh, after doing that I came back and you make manager you make senior manager and um, and you recognize how much you enjoy working with your clients you recognize how much you enjoy working with your teams and with your people and the opportunities that you have almost to have a career within a career mm, at mm. the firm um, and you know to elaborate on that I think from an audit perspective I never thought that eventually I'd be you know kind of the HR partner for the audit practice and mm -hmm. seeing how that uh, develops and getting the opportunity to work with outstanding clients certainly provides you with a perspective that you know what we're doing is, is helpful to them it's great to be a part of and uh, and it just kind of evolves from there mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know like I think if we were to take a step back you know thinking about the Chris of the younger years like yeah. um, I believe you went to University of Laurier, yeah, Laurier yeah. So yeah. that's in Waterloo yeah. did you grow up around that area? Uh, so I yeah, I grew up on a farm just oh, outside of Chatham, uh, Ontario. Yeah, so a, a little town called Thamesville. Okay. And, um, and so my my parents were always, uh, you know, pushing my brother and I to, you know, go to university. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so that it was always, so you don't have to be on the farm, right? And you yeah. look back on it now and you really appreciate the support that, that they gave uh, to my brother and I as, as you grow up. Yeah. And, and um, in high school, one of the classes that I really liked was accounting. I liked all my business classes, law classes. Um, and so um, when I was looking at what university to go to, you know, kind of uh, was trying to decide uh, Western Queens or Laurier. And uh, I went to a smaller high school, given, the, you know, kind of the rural uh, upbringing that I had. And so Laurier was a smaller school at that time and a smaller business program. And so that really appealed to me. And mm. uh, it was uh, far enough from home that you didn't have to stay at home, but close <laughs> enough that you could get back in a reasonable time frame. So uh, that was really, uh, you know, and uh, my career, at, you know, or my time at Laurier was awesome. I uh, I was in the co-op program there. Mm -hmm. um, I actually didn't do my co-op terms at KPMG. I uh, did mm. them at uh, smaller firms uh, in Kitchener, in Chatham, and then uh, did a term actually at Sleeman Brewery in their accounting and finance department there, okay. which was a really cool experience. Um, have to say the one of the better parts of that was the pay and every time you got your paycheck you also got a case of beer so i <laughs> made friends pretty quickly uh amongst the you know my uh, the people in my program because they knew i worked at sleeman so uh, so that was a great uh, great experience and then um going through uh grad recruiting uh, in fourth year yeah i was fortunate enough to uh you know to interview with at that time all the big um five firms anderson was still around at that time as well right and uh, and you know honestly, I narrowed it down to PwC and KPMG, and uh, ultimately decided to join KPMG. Um, you know, had friends over here. I really liked the environment, and uh, and you know, never haven't looked back since. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you know, um, you grew up in a small town, went to university that had a more small feel, went to yeah. smaller companies, and now you just stayed at a major conglomerate accounting firm <laughs> yeah. for yeah. well past a decade. Yeah. With what changed? Why didn't you ever have an inkling to go back to that small environment that always drew you? So I, I was extremely fortunate um, 
working in those smaller firms, I learned a ton. Yeah. Right. You know, you do everything from uh, owner managed business, tax returns. You're almost like their their personal advisor in that role, even as a as a you know a co op student or yeah, just yeah. a junior staff accountant. Right. Um, the, the those businesses and those managers are always looking for people as a sounding board to talk about their business and mm-hmm. how does this make sense. And I think that part of that sticks with you as you continue to you know go to whether it's a larger firm and get the opportunities here. And and that's something that all through my career I've tried to be cognizant of and, and remember that you know at the end of the day when you're talking with your clients is it, it's important what they're doing and it could be whether it's you know the person doing it accounts payable or the CFO, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it's bringing that good listening ear to uh, to what we do, and mm-hmm. making sure that you're really understanding what their what their issues are, and helping them through those issues. So, it you know, as you say, okay, well, you know, we're KPMG, Big Four, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, our clients don't necessarily care where you work. They want to know that professional service that you're going to get, and that mm-hmm. you're going to be able to help them solve their problem. And mm-hmm. so that's what I've tried to bring, yeah, mm-hmm. no matter where I've been at. So, right. Yeah. And you talked about how you know you you didn't foresee becoming mm-hmm. a partner obviously when you join yeah. i'll say some some people join and they they say all right i'm going to stay till i get partner yep. that that's the track and but i'd say most tend to just come in and they just do it kind of day by day and see how it goes um did you have a kind of decision making process for you where you had like benchmarks or you had kind of evaluating process personally that you used for sure yeah. for sure i i think um once I came back from Secondment uh, in the UK, mm. uh, every year I tried to, um, you know, go through a process of, you know, benchmarking where I was at with my career, mm. um, looking around at my peers and seeing what they were potentially doing in industry. Mm. How did my roles and responsibilities compare to, you know, potentially what they were getting mm-hmm. um, in their roles? And um, what were the opportunities that I was getting within the firm? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was fortunate in terms of, you know, I think a lot of what happens to you is timing. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, if, you know, if you decide to stay in a, in a big four firm, so it depends on what industry you're in, what the timing is in terms of, um, you know, partners, uh, whether there's retirements or changes within the, within the firm. Um, but a, another large part of it is the opportunities that you make for yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, you know, developing relationships with, with your teams and with uh, clients and future clients. And, uh, you know, showing that you have the ability to, um, you know, to, to drive business, to bring in business, um, while at the same time, uh, you know, doing your day-to-day responsibilities. And at the end of the day, for me, I really enjoyed the aspect of meeting new people, mm-hmm. seeing what they were doing and trying to help them as part of their business. And, and, you know, there's all these different, whether it's dials or metrics or everything that um, everyone, you know, is, is assessed on within within the firms. And I'm, it's pretty consistent, I think, across all of the firms, right? But people who like to, uh, I'll say, play in the client and market space, mm-hmm. you know, that's where you get your opportunities to kind of showcase your skills outside of a normal audit process, right? Right, And, um, and having that, uh, having a bit of that freedom and being afforded that freedom to do that um, really allowed me to develop those skills and, and to, uh, you know, knock on wood, continue to develop new business. So. Yeah, definitely. And I think, so like when, so speaking from my experience, like when I was a staff yeah. accountant and I think... Of, a very good one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Get, getting a little... Or, when are you coming back? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to know I have that door. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and so like when, but you know, when, when you're a junior and you're always like looking up, it, it somewhat seems quite linear and I know mm-hmm. there's definitely an mm-hmm. illusion to that, but I yeah. think the... There, people in the industry would know that yeah like you're a staff for a couple years and you become a senior accountant yeah. a couple years yeah. and manager and it seems quite linear in terms of you kind of expect there's some kind of promotion climbing up the ladder but yeah. Yeah. I would you know I would guess that it gets quite gray I think after a mm-hmm. certain point where it's kind of there are no more answers or no like precedents to really rely on so did you have that kind of experience when you were embarking on your own journey yeah um, for sure for sure. I think um, if you talk to partners probably in any firm, yeah. um, that they always feel like they didn't make partner quick enough, right? You know, yeah, at the end yeah. of the day, it's, you know, you feel like your your individual case, you're ready, yeah, right? You yeah. know, I'm ready to take on that responsibility. And and I, I think that's probably consistent if you talk to the partners at uh, at this firm or any other. Yeah. Um, 
And part of that is, uh, like I said, timing, but the other part of it too is, um, you know, just, just the, the economic environment, everything around that. So I think that's one of the great things is that, you know, you have that confidence and, you know, when I'm ready to, to move forward and ready to go to that, that next step. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's a, you know, the influence of a number of factors that, that go into that. So I think you're bang on, right? It does feel quite linear up until you make manager, mm-hmm. right? You know, each year you're progressing on a, you know, a normal kind of fashion. And, uh, and, you know, we do have people that really maybe jump a level or get promoted early into manager mm-hmm. because they've demonstrated outstanding, uh, outstanding skills. And that, that happens. And, and, you know, and those people tend to go on and do, do amazing things in their career, either staying at KPMG or, or going outside uh, afterwards. Once you make senior manager, that, you know, you mentioned the gray area. Mm-hmm. It does start to become a little bit uh, more gray. And I think as a profession and as, you know, the firms in general, we probably struggle with providing clarity once you get to that level. Is mm. What are the behaviors that you're going to need to exhibit in order to make partner? Mm-hmm. And how quickly can you get there? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've tried to become much more transparent as part of that process. And um, I think people do... Um, you know, do have a lot more information now than they would have even five years ago about right. what that partner process is yeah. like. Um, at the same time, I think that there are factors that still are outside of, I'll say, the existing partners, you know, in terms of to try and, uh, you know, provide ultimate clarity mm-hmm. um, because you really don't know how the, the economy is going to perform mm-hmm. year to year. Um, you don't know what are going to be, you know, you can try and guess and place your bets in terms of what are going to be the, uh, the hot areas for the economy, what are going to be the industries where you're going to need to develop, uh, you know, new partners. But I haven't been a partner that long and things like blockchain and crypto, you know, crypto assets weren't around, you mm-hmm. know, f- you know, five, six, seven years ago, or they mm-hmm. certainly weren't on our radar. So, you, you know, you're not going to know how you're going to have to adapt uh, mm-hmm. during that time frame. So, yeah, no, that, that's actually fascinating. I didn't think about it in that perspective of I think it's something um, you miss when you're a junior, but I, I think, like, yeah, as you, as you get yeah. to your level as a partner, now you're kind of, you're a business owner, and the yeah. way you'd have to think about it is different. So is, what's the process like in terms of then, like, do you guys all get together and say, yeah, we're going to yeah. decide to put, bring on partners in this business area to grow that? Is it, like, allocation of, like, sales personnel? Yeah. And so, so, and, and uh, I'll speak for our, you know, I'm obviously familiar, more familiar with the KPMG model, but right. um, certainly you want to look by by sector. You want to look by service line. Mm. Um, and you want, in, and as part of that process, you want to make sure that the individuals that you're putting forward have a strong track record of growth in mm-hmm. those areas, right? Mm. Um, and so there, there's a number of different, um, you know, factors that all go into it. Um, but the most important thing, and the thing that I always say to our senior managers when they're, you know, when they're nearing that, that time when they, you know, they think they're ready is you can control your individual readiness. Mm-hmm. So doing all the things to be able to show that you're ready to make partner. You can't control whether or not your industry is, you know, is is hot right now you mm-hmm. can't control the growth trajectory and you know and if you look at let's say the oil and gas industry in Canada over the last like you know the cyclical nature of that um, and so you can't control those things but if you can control your individual case your readiness all of those things then good things will happen mm-hmm. um, you know uh, in our uh, in our practice we had a number of senior uh, banking partners who've retired over the last five years mm-hmm. uh, and when I started out my career, I obviously had no idea in terms of what that, you know, that partnership uh, demographic looked like and the timeline uh, for the, for those partners. And so, you know, certainly I was fortunate in terms of some of the timing of those retirements and being able to, uh, you know, and to uh, demonstrate the capability to, to fill the shoes of, you know, not necessarily fill the shoes, but try to fill the shoes of some of those, uh, those uh, senior, senior partners. But um but when you're starting out your career, you can't think that way. There's there's so many different uh, you know influences and there's so many different things that can happen that um, you just have to kind of you know own what you're doing and control that and and, mm-hmm. uh, and trust that the process will will work. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, I think obviously, um, especially since you've gone through it, mm-hmm. it hindsight's always twenty twenty, yeah. and um, I'm sure some of your mentees might even say like of course you can say trust the process it happened to you of course yeah um yeah but for you yeah when you were in your journey what do you think what would you say was um 
the largest obstacle for you that you felt you had to overcome? It's a good, yeah, a good question. I, I think there's probably two things. So yeah. the the first one is the demonstration of that individual case, mm-hmm. and um, part of that is taking yourself sometimes out of your comfort zone. Yeah, and uh, you know, I just my upbringing, right? Growing up on a farm, um, smaller town, you know. I like to think that I'm a relatively humble person. Mm. And so not wanting to kind of toot your own horn a little bit, right, and saying these are the things that I'm doing, it really does take you out of that um, that element a little bit. And you have to kind of showcase your abilities a little more and say, mm-hmm. you know, I've developed these relationships. Working with my team, we've been able to do this. And, and, and so that was something that um, I had a, a senior partner tell me, he'd say, you know, I know what you're doing but other people don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to be able to kind of demonstrate that and talk about it a little bit more because mm-hmm. that's part of that's part of the process. And some people really like that self-promotion aspect of things. Um, that was difficult for me. And so I, you know, and, and, uh, and so I had to take myself a little bit out of my comfort zone in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is, is that it's a high bar, right? To become a partner in one of the big four mm-hmm. firms. Uh, it's you're working with and I'm almost I'm always amazed at the the skills the intellect the and just in, in general the you know I learn so much stuff every day from my colleagues who are you know partners at these firms um, and so it's a competitive competitive process mm-hmm. and um, and so that's a challenge in and of itself and so you know for people who are fortunate enough to uh, to make it to partner in one of those firms you know it's, it's a great accomplishment mm-hmm. um, because uh, they've had to, you know, spend a lot of time working um, in, you know, in, through different economic cycles, um, you know, working with a uh, challenging environment. You've got four and then, the, you know, the big four and then all the other uh, large consulting firms out there that are competing for business with clients. And, and our, you know, our clients have the ability to kind of go wherever they'd like, mm-hmm. right? And so to establish that trust and to earn that trust and to you know to be able to make it as a as partner it's a it's a uh, it, you know it's certainly an accomplishment and, and i tell our new partners that you know every year is that they should be extremely proud of what they've done because mm. um you know it's uh it's it's a long haul to get there and it you know it's worth it um at the same time it is uh, it is a serious significant investment in your time your family's time and some of the sacrifices that you have to make to, uh, you know, to get to that level. So. Mm. On, on the note of sacrifices, is there, would you say, is there a specific thing that you remember that you remember yet to sacrifice or? I, I guarantee that probably every, uh, every partner has, you know, war stories of working to late nights and things like that, right? Yeah. But I don't think that's any different than any other, uh, you know, any other industry or career or, you know, C, you know, C-level uh, executive, mm. uh, you know, um, or, or entrepreneur, right? You know, so, uh, you know, working hard is a given. I yeah. think, you know, everybody expects that and, you know, that that's going to happen. So, I, you know, I don't think that um, I'm not going to say that there's things in a professional services firm that you that are different in terms of what you give up than in any other uh, process, because I think people always have to make trade-offs right, mm-hmm. in terms of their career um, and, and what they want to do from, a, you know, whether it's uh, family, it's other activities, social activities, things like that. I mm-hmm. think... Um, the people who do give up a lot are your, you know, whether it's your significant other or your family members who understand that there's going to be times when you have the opportunity to spend more time with them and, you know, maybe because of, of the financial situation that you're in, have some fantastic, you know, holidays or things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a trade-off to that in terms of um, being available, you know, essentially 24-7, right, mm-hmm. in, in this role. and. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, you say that and you think, oh, you know, that's, uh, you know, a significant uh, commitment. But at the same time, when you have established that trust with your clients, then they understand that there are times when you are available and when you're not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so um, setting some, you know, whether it's boundaries or, or, you know, just, you know, when I'm not available for the next couple hours or whatever, that, that, uh, that tends to work well and certainly, um, you know, nothing that's not manageable. Mm. Yeah, th- I think this that's a good way to transition on to um, kind of understanding more mm-hmm. of you know, what, what you actually do on a <laughs> d- daily basis because yeah. I, I would say, um, I think you, you've, you're, I would say, 
relatively good. You were relatively good at this in terms of kind of showing up more yeah. into the yeah. audit rooms when we were, you know, yeah. at war. But I would say the most of the times, most people have no idea what a partner actually does yeah. throughout their day. <laughs> it's kind of more. We just know you make a lot of money. You own part of the firm and kind of come in at the last minute, sign off, and it's kind of we never see you again. <laughs> So that, that so that's the perception, right? That, that's the perception. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's changed that much since five years ago, but you know, I'm bound to say that there's still a bit of that going on. Mm-hmm. And so, I think if, if we were to look at it from actually the most like kind of baseline perspective, like, mm-hmm. you know, can you take me through what your day looked like yesterday? Sure. Um, sure. So kind of beginning from like, you know, what time did you get into the office? Yeah. To yeah. you know, when when your first meeting was? Would you typically do in the mornings? Mm-hmm. Sure. So uh, I, um, it depends in terms of what time I get in the office. So some, uh, some days I'm in between seven, seven thirty. Mm. other days, uh, eight and, and that really depends on whether I have meetings coming up, a breakfast meeting, um, or if I can get the opportunity to steal a little time with my kids and, and take them to school. Mm. Right. So I'd say every day for me, a starting time is different. I know some people like to get in at the same time every day. Mm. Um, but, uh, and since I've had, I have two boys now that are nine and five, I try and kind of steal a little bit of time in the mornings with them. I, mm. I used to be in, you know, 7.30 was my kind of thing before before we uh, before we had kids, but that's changed a little <laughs> bit now. Um, but it's it's interesting, every day you, I kind of, uh, and today's a bad example because I don't have my, uh, my itinerary kind of my calendar uh, all written out but um, I try to kind of think about okay what are the key things that I'm gonna have to do today whether it's file review what clients do I want to talk to either Mm -hmm. on site or or over the phone Um, and then what do we have going on as kind of our HR partner for audit as well there's always kind of things that maybe are gonna pop up whether it's an interview or something like that Mm -hmm. that um, that I get the opportunity to participate in so every day is different Mm -hmm. which is really one of the things that I really like about the job. Mm-hmm. I have a reasonably good idea of, you know, what my deadlines are going to be and what I'm going to try and work on from, I'll say, you know, client review and things of that nature. Um, but I don't know what client's going to call me that day and say, hey, you know, we've got an offering coming up. This is what we're thinking of doing. Can you, you know, kind of help us with this? Um, you never know whether there's going to be a potential accounting issue that comes up on on your client and it's gonna you know kind of have to okay let's drop this for a second and and move forward Mm -hmm. and to be frank you never know if there's gonna be an issue whether someone's gonna come in and say you know what I'm thinking about making a career change can we talk about it Mm -hmm. right and um, and those things have to priority number one right Mm -hmm. so you want to make sure that um, our clients if they have questions that those are addressed on a timely basis Mm -hmm. And at the same time, for our people, if they have questions about, you know, okay, I uh, I don't want to be on this assignment, or I'm thinking about a potential career change, can we talk about it? You know, those things have to happen right away. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's the part where I don't know what, whether that's going to come, you know, today or tomorrow. Um, so you gotta you have to kind of leave a little bit of buffer in there and, mm-hmm. and kind of uh, you know make sure that you're focused on that as well. I think. Um, the nice, the nice thing for me is um, we have a great team uh, around on a, on a lot of our engagements. Mm-hmm. So whether our managers, our senior managers, and our staff, they relish the opportunities to kind of solve some of those problems from a client perspective. And you want to give our team, or I want to give our teams the opportunity to be able to, uh, you know, to do that that, mm-hmm. that solutioning and work through it with the client. And so. That's that's great, and and you know, giving people the opportunity to take on as much as they can, and then kind of bouncing it off off me at the end, because ultimately, you know, the buck stops uh, buck stops with me, on um, my clients, and so that's that's a, an interesting aspect of it, and and you kind of know which of your uh, managers and senior managers are looking for those opportunities, and and you can trust them to be able to do that, and those that potentially may need a little bit more guidance, maybe they're new on the client, or maybe mm-hmm. haven't, are not as experienced in, in solving those uh, solving those issues. So, um, so that's that's great, and so I'm very fortunate to have a fantastic team that uh, that I get to work with every day, and, and mm-hmm. that's part of what makes the job uh, the job exciting as well. Mm-hmm. And so then, if um, if I were to ask you to compartmentalize yeah. the kind of activities you did. Yeah. So um, the example I could give is when I was a staff accountant, the way out, I think my day, if I allocated percentage-wise by time, it'd be, it would have been about 50, 60% taking time reading yeah. 
audit notes um, just in front of my computer. Mm -hmm. And then about, I'd say, 30% in meetings, yeah. whether it's clients or just team meetings. Yeah. And then the other, um, you know, it's just sometimes running around, um, entering <laughs> inventory counts or you forgot you forgot filling out the uh, the menus and everything like that that you used to do to make sure we were eating healthy in the audit room. Yeah. And oh yeah, night. that's true. So, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. was that three <laughs> percent? <laughs> that's probably it. Yeah, like uh, for the audience that doesn't don't know, because of my um, infatuation of healthy eating, <laughs> I made sure that everyone that bought snacks with the audit budget had. I think I think the limit was. At least twenty five percent, fifty percent. Twenty five percent of percent uh, has yeah. to be healthy because yeah. everyone. I think the first year I was just appalled by how it was just all uh, yeah. sweets and. You had to be Daniel certified in order to get the list. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> no, but after after everyone complained in the beginning, and then after the audit, everyone said, yeah. "No, that was a very good choice," and they felt better. They felt better about yeah, that's yeah. for sure. That's yeah. for sure. I I think. Um, at least 50% of my time is spent talking to clients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know what? It should be more. Yeah. Right? Um, and, uh, you know, I think if you if you talk to some other partners, maybe it's a little bit more. Mm. Because of um, some of my, uh, you know, HR responsibilities, there's a little bit more time focused internal, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I'd say, you know, 50 to 60% of my time is spent uh, on client uh, matters, probably 30% on... Uh, on, I'll say, you know, kind of internal focusing, focused uh, HR matters. And then the remainder, and, and I'm sure if you talk to uh, other partners or managers within the firm, is administrative tasks. And mm -hmm. when I say that, it's, um, you know, uh, independence matters, client onboarding, mm -hmm. um, that type of stuff, which uh, we, we have to do. It's important, very important, right, in terms of maintaining our, our independence and making sure that we've done all the quality checks and the, and the risk checks. But at the same time, that's not a fun part of your job. You know, that's not the part that you're like, oh, good, I get to talk to, uh, you know, no offense yeah, to our risk management team, but I get to talk to them today. Yeah, and no, I was going to say, so, just be honest with me, it sucks, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, so like I said, you know, it's that's a, a necessary part of the job, but at the same time, that's not, uh, you know, well, one, that's not making us money, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be out there helping your clients and, 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 uh, and helping them to do that. And then two, uh, it's something that, um, like I said, it, it's necessary. We have to do it, but at the same time, it does divert time from other things you want to be focusing on in terms mm -hmm. of coaching your team, developing them, and and, and mentoring them as well. Mm -hmm. so. And in terms of the, you know, speaking with the client aspect, I think the general kind of perception of the business model of audit is that it's relatively more stable than, mm -hmm. for example, like consulting, where you'd have to get a new project every time. Whereas audit, you know, you have a multi-year contract yeah. and mm -hmm. Generally, audit clients don't switch auditors that often. Mm -hmm. um, so, we, how does a split work for you in terms of kind of maintaining the relationships compared to seeking out the new business opportunities? It's it, yeah, that's a great question. So, I think the way that you have to look at it is that each year that you do an audit, it's the first year of your audit, mm -hmm. right? You want it to be um, you want it to be new, you want it to be fresh, you want it to be a situation where you're bringing your best team, best technology. Um, best approach uh, mm -hmm. to the client and um, so in that way you're always under kind of proposal mode mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, you know I think I'd be lying to say that that always happens mm -hmm. right you know um, certainly you get used to certain engagements you get used to certain you know um, familiar with uh, with certain teams or certain staff and therefore you know they they come to expect a certain level from the audit and mm -hmm. they expect certain procedures. And if you do try to change them, then they're, well, why are we doing that? We didn't do that last year, mm -hmm. right? And so a lot of that's transparency and communication about what we're trying to do, trying to be more efficient, you know, trying to bring more technology uh, to the audits and, and really trying to, um, you know, whether it's get more coverage, do a different test, all of those types of things. So I think, it, you know, the, um, audits evolving continuously mm -hmm. so um yeah i would agree that the perception is that it's more stagnant more stable than mm -hmm. whether it's you know adv advisory attacks but i think at the same time is there's lots of opportunities to keep it fresh and exciting and if you're not doing that on your engagements then the audit committees that you're presenting to and they uh you know the uh, the management team that um 
person that you're working with as part of that audit are going to challenge you to find out why you're not um, because you know they're hearing things from the other firms about a new technology maybe that they're using or mm. more coverage that they're getting on a certain area or the value added insight that they're getting from their you know from their competitors or their auditors so you have to continue to raise the bar for sure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and do you find that um in the industry i think something i noticed when i was on my kind of buy side mm-hmm. gig was the companies that invest in, you'd kind of see the audit fees declining. I think there definitely is some pressure definitely being implied yeah. or enforced onto the auditors. Um, yeah. How do you feel that kind of hitting the industry relatively hard? How th- How is it changing the industry and how does it change how you go about um, strategizing? Yeah, so I think um, there's no doubt there's fee pressure. There's lots yeah. of competition yeah. um, uh, that's, uh, that's out there. I think there is a lot of value that... Um, that comes from the audit and there's a lot of value that can be um, uh, you know utilized by both management and the audit committee of getting that was that sober second thought insight into some of the control processes that potentially could be uh, that could be done better um, at clients and I think as well um, the value to you know capital markets in general right mm-hmm. in terms of what an audit uh, what an audit brings to the table and so as an industry, we certainly have to do a better job of communicating what those values are, and that it's not just a you know what here's our opinion, great, thanks for you know thanks for coming out, um, but it's an ongoing process that happens throughout the year, in terms of being able to provide insight to um, to the capital markets, to the audit committee, and to the, ultimately to the board as well, and I think some of the value that you're going to see coming up over the next couple of years is some of the changes to the uh, audit opinions. So mm-hmm. in in Europe and in the UK, they've gone to a more longer form audit opinion, which includes some of the key risk areas that were identified as part of the audit, the procedures and results of those, of those tests uh, as part of the audit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those key metrics are going to be coming to North America as well over the next couple of years. And and I think that's great. That transparency is great for the you know for uh, for the capital markets understanding what um, the auditors thought were the risk areas. Um, certainly, what the audit committee felt um, was the risk areas as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and what work was done over those mm-hmm. over those risk areas. Um, listen, as a as an audit partner, um, you know certainly that it does feel like it's more responsibility mm-hmm. on you, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, to have your name out there and to have those those items uh, out there in terms of um, key risk areas that, that you've identified as part of the audit. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't change the fact as to that we've been doing this for years, mm-hmm. right? And identifying those risks and doing, you know, a you know high quality work on those areas. And so, um, you know, that... Uh, that communication, that transparency, I think, as a for an industry, and this is my personal opinion, is good, right? We need to make sure that the markets understand exactly what, what we're bringing to the table, and hopefully, um, that validates the you know the level of fees that um, that we that we charge. Mm-hmm. And and so for you personally, um, in terms of things that motivate you to come in to you know that motivate you to show up every yeah. day, um, like is it. What what is it particularly that motivates you? And additional to that, like, do you feel what do you feel is um, like your unique strength that lets you do the things that make you good at what you do? Uh, I love working with my clients. That's the first thing. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, probably and my wife says, "What are you thinking about?" And I'm like, oh, "I'm you know before I go to bed, kind of thing is you know how can I help them the next day or you know working through a question or whatever, right?" And she'll just say, "Turn it off," you know, kind of thing. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, that's what motivates me to get up, you know, the next yeah. morning. Yeah, you know, it, at the you think about what we do and what we bring to the table. And if it was an easy question, then our clients wouldn't need us. Yeah. Right. And so they're looking to us for guidance. They're looking to us for help. And so it, that's the really neat aspect of it. So the research aspect of it, that you know, talking to your fellow partners or your senior managers and saying, you know. What do you think about this? What's is this the best way that we could be doing this? Is there something that we could be doing to help them? You know, and so that's that's always you know that's a great uh, a great motivator. The second one for me is is we talked a little bit about the competition and you know the big four mm. and, and everything is that it really is a competitive uh, you know a fantastic competitive landscape and the opportunity to quote source new work you know and, and win on opportunities whether it's a proposal opportunity and, and you know really demonstrate 
that um, that you've developed outstanding relationships with those clients or brought something unique to the table that they're going to utilize and, and, and really succeed with is something that um, that motivates me as well. You know, everybody likes to win, but I think, um, you know, you want to be part of those teams that are really doing uh, outstanding, changing work for our clients. And then I'll say the, the last piece, and it probably, I probably should have said this first, but the developing our people, the mentoring our people, working with our teams, right? You know, the relationships that you develop, you know, you and I go back five, seven years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so it's it's hilarious. So I I was walking uh, up the street this morning on my way to work, and Josh Kumar, who was a, you know a senior associate back in the day, he's mm. he's now one of the law firms. And he's like, hey, let's do lunch, and and uh, you know Josh has, has left the firm eight years ago, you know, wow. and so it's just great to you know to those different those relationships that you develop and, and to see people succeed and mm-hmm. and. Uh, we have our, our alumni event every two years that we do from kind of a GTA, you know, overall perspective. And uh, and it's getting so big now that we have to write, rent out arenas, you know, <laughs> like there's so many people that, that come back for it. And so that's extremely rewarding, right, mm-hmm. to be able to see all the people who, um, who really identify during their time at KPMG, the relationships that they developed. You know, hopefully they had an outstanding experience while they were here, and they it certainly feels like they did because they came back and want to reconnect with their with their peers during that time, and as well with whether it was the partners or the managers that they worked with. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's outstanding, and um, and part of that is you know I've been here now 15 years. I don't feel that old. Um, <laughs> 16 years, I guess. Um, but it keeps you young, right? You know, you're, when mm-hmm. you talk to the staff accountants and the senior accountants and kind of what they're seeing, what they're doing, some of the things that um, they're doing, whether it's on, a, you know, uh, from coming out of university, on a social aspect, what we should be doing, what we should be thinking about as the next wave of kind of business opportunities, all that stuff, uh, it, 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 you know, it motivates you to get up every morning and, mm-hmm. and come into work for sure, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, being, being a partner, you know, you were, you know, part owner of the firm, mm-hmm. and as an owner, I think, in one one aspect, I assume that partners would have a lot of kind of full autonomy in terms of what they do. Yeah. But at the same time, I think when I ask around and you kind of learn more about, there's kind of an internal hierarchy between <laughs> partners as well. There's yeah. like an inside world that only you understand and get to be a part of once you get in. Yeah. And so then for you. Um, if you're just, if it's like grand kind of your mm-hmm. personal autonomy from like one to ten, and one being, yep, good old kind of you know investment banking style, you kind of show up, FaceTime, and ten being, you don't like you don't have you don't have to be in the office. It's a results only work environment. <laughs> you don't have to show up. Um, how would you rank your own? And uh, you can't pick can't, seven. Can't pick seven. No. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it varies on the time of the year in oh, audit. Okay. Uh, and so at certain points, it's a one or a two, right? During the busy season and yeah. audit, right? I think for sure, you know, we we need our partners. We need everybody out at our clients, right? And you need to be there and you need to be uh, on top of it. And certainly, um, um, you know, working working to the deadlines that, that are put in place. Mm-hmm. I think throughout the year that, that timeline changes and maybe in, you know, June and July, uh, that becomes more of an eight or nine, right? In terms mm. of um, let's make sure that people are getting their work done, but at the same time, giving them the autonomy to you know work more, uh, you know, from home or whatever, right? In mm-hmm. terms of going through that, I, I think, and, and I think this is changing as a profession as a whole. Uh, um, you know, from my perspective, the most important thing for me is that our clients have fantastic service mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean that you always have to be out there putting in FaceTime and mm-hmm. being in front of them and because the, there's lots of times when they've got a day job and that they're working on and they don't necessarily want to want to see you but at mm-hmm. the same time they want to know that whether it's their audits progressing well or whatever it is that we're doing you know whether it's an advisory summit and I don't think this changes depending on function I think it's the same no matter what mm-hmm. uh, and so if you are moving your work forward and getting your work done and where you're doing it to me as a partner uh, doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing is that your team and your client that you're working with, you have a, a really good communication, really good uh, transparent discussion around 
this is what we're doing. This is where we're at. This is what's happening. So that when it goes back to kind of it being the first time on it every time, right? You're getting that experience where and there's no ambiguity as to where we're at in this process. Everybody knows where we're at. These are what the issues are. And this is how we're working through those issues. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is, is of the utmost importance. Um, in terms of autonomy from my partner, owner <coughs> perspective, yes, you do have more autonomy. Mm-hmm. You have the ability to, um, you know, you're juggling multiple clients and being, and so you have the ability to kind of work where your clients are, work from the office, work from home, Mm -hmm. for sure. But with that comes the accountability, Mm -hmm. right? And so I can't look my fellow partners in the eye knowing that, you know, some of them are working crazy hours and then you're just, you know, slacking off. You know what I mean? Kind of because we're all owners of this business and we're all trying to do, um, do the best to help create a partnership that's going to be better than when we started. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in order to do that, we have to understand what's happening in the economy. We have to understand what's coming next in order to be ensure that we remain relevant as we kind of continue on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's almost it's a it's a competitive landscape outside of the firm, but it's competitive within the firm as well. Right. Because you want to do well. You want to win that next audit. You want to win that next assignment so that it breeds that culture within the uh, within the firm as well as that. Hey, you know what? You know, Naveen's doing really well on this. You know, he he's uh, he's won this assignment. Okay, what you know, what's what's out there that I can go out and and try and bring in to help our practice and help our firm as well. And mm-hmm. so that breeds it breeds a nice competitive spirit within the firm also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I think you bring up a good point that you know, I, I don't think I ever considered that partners also lost the autonomy in busy season two, yeah. um, like the January to April yeah. period when auditors all. Stop seeing their friends. Um, <laughs> but, and uh, so, don't perpetuate those stereotypes. Right? <laughs> um, for you, though, um, I'm sure you had certain thoughts about the partner role, and but once you get there, I think reality and expectation always have differences. I think yeah. it's I've witnessed that in every single career that I've yeah. taken on. And um, for you, what what stands out as like the three big um, different differences that you experienced when you transitioned over so so the the first one for sure is when you're a senior manager you always think <clears throat> you know what i'm i'm ready to be a partner now yeah. i can make these decisions yeah. and um and for the most part you probably can yeah the routine ones and everything like that but yeah. there's a little bit of a difference and you know okay the buck stops with you and this is the decision that we're making right and within kpmg and all the firms certainly have a lot of sounding boards whether it's your department of professional practice your risk management team all those and you need to talk to them about making those final critical decisions um but at the end of the day it does the buck does stop with you mm-hmm. and um that's certainly that's the first change and, and you you recognize that pretty quickly when you have to make a decision and or you're sitting in a, in a meeting with a client and as a senior manager you'll say oh yeah just let me you know bounce this off the partner i'll get back to you yeah. and, the, and then you're sitting there and you're you're the first year partner and you're like I can't bounce this at, you know, <laughs> there's no one to bounce it off of. I've got to make the decision. So, which is, uh, which is great. Um, the second thing is, uh, we talked about those administrative tasks, yeah. right? And, um, as a manager, as a senior manager, you kind of, you do them, you go through the motions, you know, that they're important. Um, and, but as a partner, you, uh, you know, it's, it's critical because it is ultimately our ability to our, to do our business. And so that's the second thing that really does, uh, that really does jump out at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third thing, and this, it depends on what your role is as a partner, but certainly having moved into, you know, we have a, we call it a senior people leader role in our audit practice. And then now as our, uh, HR partner, um, you, recognize how every decision that you make influences whether it's your practice or your group and um, and you have to think broader than just what is going to happen on a specific engagement or what's going to happen in in a specific situation and you know does this set precedent for what we're going to do what we're trying to do over the next year how can we make this a better process how can we ensure that you know we're willing to make an investment now in order to succeed two and three years down the road? And everybody within the partnership has different trade-offs. Some 
partners may be nearing retirement and don't want to make that investment right away because it's well if we just push that out a couple of years then my return is going to be higher over the next couple of years and then i'm mm. retired and moving on right mm-hmm. so you have to balance that with what's best for the practice longer term while at the same time recognizing that um that some of the partners may not want to make that investment depending on their personal case mm-hmm. right and so those are things that i really didn't contemplate uh you know as a manager as a senior manager that now you you have all these uh, whether you know diverse ideas but at the same time people that are in their different uh different career uh you know timelines and, and you know looking to maximize their their timelines and their and their returns during those timelines and so it's a bit of a trade-off right and making sure that we're doing the right thing as a as a practice mm-hmm. on the on the concept of return on investment i think this mm-hmm. might be the million dollar question that <laughs> you know a lot of the young people actually might be very curious to know yeah. is yeah, so how does the uh, equity structure look for a partner? <laughs> is that something you can share, or is that a uh, so? I, I I don't uh, I don't know what it is at any of the other firms, right? right? Um, and so I think all of the firms are different, right? <clears throat> um, and so I I think uh, what's what I would say is that there is a significant level of investment that you're making um, as of your personal of your yeah, of your personal um, you know of your personal, I'll say returns or wealth, in order to um, grow the firm mm. at the end of the day. And, and each firm's in a different spot and mm-hmm. you know, may have different priorities and everything like that. So I, I, won't, uh, I won't get into that, but um, there's certainly a skin in the game for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's a good motivator, right? And you, know, um, you think about um, if you're an entrepreneur, what you're risking. Mm-hmm. Right. In terms of, you know, uh, trying to uh, to establish your own company, your own business uh, versus, you know, going to work, you know, on a, at a corporation that's already well established. And so that's that risk reward, uh, you know, decision that you're making. And, and um, you know, I think that, uh, that that's a healthy part of what we have as a partnership mm-hmm. um, is that you do have uh, you do have, uh, you know, skin in the game in order to make sure that um, that you're exhibiting the behaviors that are going to grow the business. Mm-hmm. So. And and so then in terms of how it works, is it is it a like when you get invited to the partnership, it's an invitation to buy an equity stake in the, the company, right? Yeah. So so each again each partnership agreement is right. different. Um, so <clears throat> there's ways that um, basically what it is is it's uh, you can do a percentage of what your expected salary would be uh, that you have to invest into into the into the partnership. Um, and, and there's other models, right? So some of them may use a unit process. There right. may be others as well. So um, it's, uh, yeah, you know, anytime that you have equity at risk, then that's, a, you know, that's an investment, right? Yeah. And uh, and so I guess to that point, at the same time, is you know the partners well, you know yourself well, so why not invest in yourself and hopefully yeah. grow the business, right? Yeah. So then um, if we were to look at an average partner from what you've seen at KPMG how, how many years will it take for me to hit my first one million dollars in assets <laughs> I'll let you know when I get there <laughs> <laughs> all right so we yeah, know that yeah yeah um uh, you know what it's it's totally dependent on industry uh it's dependent oh on, even within audit yeah oh. yeah so and it, it I think all the models are different yeah right yeah, yeah. so you know to say uh I, I think there's a nice um nice relationship between the risk that you're working on in terms of the clients that mm-hmm. you're working on the level of seniority um, that you have within the firm and as well you know your contributions to the firm mm-hmm. and uh, I, I would you know I, I think it's fair to say that looking at those three pieces across all the firms that you're probably going to see um, you know the higher returns as a result of having those responsibilities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. all right I still don't have a number yet. Can't go without a number. Yeah, I don't. I don't about, know what to. You know, about, about 10? you know what I would say. Uh, I, I think that the amount of work that you put into it is commensurate to how you feel your, ret- <laughs> your returns are. So. All right. Well, we'll keep it there. Um, yeah, and then I guess then that's uh, changing gears a bit. Something I was something I was curious about um, personally. So, little backstory for the audience who may not know, and also for you as well who yeah. might not remember. Yeah. But 
back when I was in uh, my I guess final final days at KPMG, I came came to you and I caught I asked you that um, I'm considering of leaving. I'm considering a career change and. Um, I asked you to give me your advice as a friend, yeah. and you recommended that uh, you said if you were in my shoes that you would leave and I, yep. you would try something different. Yeah. Um, what, what made what, what kind of you know, thought did you have while you were giving that kind of advice? And yeah, I was just yeah. I think I was more um, curious on just the because as a partner, you you would say that the incentive is to keep me. Yeah. Given yeah. that I was a good performer, yeah. longer, um, but you t- recommended I yeah leave, and that was the kind of support I needed to make the jump. Yeah, so, and, and uh, you know, I don't want to get in trouble for saying this from the KPMG perspective, but I think that the best thing that you can do for your people is give them the opportunity um, to succeed while they're here, mm-hmm. and if they want to try something new, I hope that they want to try something new within the firm. Mm-hmm. And I think in your case, you had an opportunity outside of the firm to try something new that you were passionate about. Mm-hmm. And if someone comes to me with that as their opportunity that they're presenting, and they're not running away from something here, but it's something that they want to go to, mm-hmm. then I'm always going to recommend that they take that opportunity and try it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you like it, that's great. And you know what? Then three years down the road, five years down the road, when you're successful either as an entrepreneur or successful in that role that you've done, you're going to remember that and say, you know what, I should give Chris a call, you know, when you have a problem, I should give Chris a call and see if KPMG can help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I told you to stay and you stay for another year and you're like, oh, uh, you know what, I've, I've done this, I feel like I'm doing the same thing or, you know what, I wish I would have taken that opportunity, then I'm not being helpful to you as a you know as a mentor as part of your career and you're going to resent the fact that I told you to stay and you know and in, in, in to avoid that opportunity so you, you have to have low self-interest right in mm-hmm. this in this <clears throat> in this position and and that has to be the same thing with our with our clients as well right is I'm not going to try and sell you something that you don't need mm-hmm. right it's I want to listen to what your problems are maybe I can help if I can't help, maybe I know someone within the firm who can. If we can't, then, then you know, go and get that help from somewhere else. Because mm-hmm. if we do a bad job, then we've ruined our credibility and my relationship with you now is strained. Mm-hmm. If I told you, you know, to stay and then put you on two jobs that you didn't want to do and you're feeling frustrated and you're like, well, I thought this was going to be different or I thought this was going to get better, then you and I don't have a relationship moving forward either because mm-hmm. I haven't helped you. So I think that there, there's times when I do tell people to stay, mm-hmm. right? And then because I think genuinely that's the right thing for them and you can tell that they're not really sold on the opportunity that's presented itself for them to go to, mm-hmm. but they just feel like they need something different. Mm-hmm. And, and there's lots of opportunities to potentially get something different within the firm. But if you know people come to me and say you know what i'm really excited about this opportunity that's come to me but i have i you know i love the firm i love the people so i'm really torn then let's sit down and hash out what is the opportunity and does it make sense so. mm-hmm. yeah definitely and you know for you personally though then um if if, if you kind of try to reminisce back mm-hmm. to the, the chris cornell of 20 years old yeah it's like you're in the third university yeah. if if he looked at you right now and what do you think the emotional response would be would it be kind of you know oh that's what i expected i like accounting and hash <laughs> i knew i'd be a partner at a big four firm or do you think it'd just be surprise or would it do you think it'd be disappointment that you are even higher up <laughs> yeah exactly um I, I think he would be pleased um i don't think that i you know sitting in laurier in third year 8:30 class, thinking I'm going to be a partner at, a, at an accounting firm. I didn't. I didn't think that. I think I probably thought um, being in something in finance, uh, you know, at, at a large organization or something like that. That was, you know, that was kind of what I what I envisioned. Maybe mm-hmm. being, uh, you know, the GM of the Blue Jays or something cool like that, right? Yeah. Or something. <laughs> yeah. But uh, obviously, obviously, that didn't play out. Um, but Never too late. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, all the GMs now are 30 years old. I'm way too old for uh, way too old for that. Um, but I do think that uh, we talked a little bit about you know investing in yourself. And, yeah. You know, is that you have to have that self confidence and belief that you you know that you're going to succeed in what you do, and then find what is that um, you know that niche for you that really does you know make that make you happy and and, and that you're passionate about and. That's something that, you know, if I turn that back on you, I can tell when you were here was that you had um, so many things that you were passionate about and that you were really good at. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, audit def- definitely wasn't the thing that we were most passionate about, right? right? So you would have succeeded and done really well up to a certain point, And then it becomes monotonous. And then, you you know, and then you're like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do something else. Right. And so now you've had, you know, the last five years of amazing experiences, but you can build on kind of that base that you developed while you were here. Right. right, right. And so for me, I, I, I can honestly say, I don't think I looked out 20 years at that time and thought about what, you know, what I was going to do. I think it was probably a little bit, you know, smaller chunks, get my designation, make manager, make senior manager, okay, now, yeah, I want to become partner. Okay, well, what's the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what are the clients I want to work with? Who are those clients? What are the, you know, potential other roles within the firm that, you know, you want to uh, potentially pursue and, and look to in the future? So those types of things, um, you know, still motivate you and and, uh, and drive you every day. But at the end of the day, it is that kind of, uh, you know, working strongly with our people and having those opportunities to uh, help your clients succeed. Mm. Great. And so, you know, if you were to give advice to um, your younger 20-year-old self or another 20-year-old who's yeah. next to you, um, what, would be, what would be the key advice that you'd give? So uh, there, you can never have too much education. That's the first thing, yeah. right? And so I think if you have a passion for accounting or finance and you want to pursue your designation, you should mm-hmm. you should certainly do that. Um the second thing would be, and I, I think that there's lots of opportunities now to get your CPA outside of a firm, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think that some of the learning and some of the professional environment that you get by being in a firm, uh, I think a lot of, if you talk to people who have um, gone through that process, they would highly recommend it. And so I'm a bit biased from that perspective <laughs> as well. I think... Little self-advertising Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? I, I just think that you, um, you hang out with your peers who are in such a professional environment, you know, everyone, you know, everyone who works in these firms has a university degree, mm-hmm. right? And there's not that many um, locations, industries where that's the case. Mm-hmm. So the um, the learning is constant. The great ideas that are going back and forth are constant. And the professional environment that you're working in is, uh, it, you know, to me is second to none. So that you know as a as a 19 20 year old 21 year old is a great environment in terms of getting training and and you know really establishing your professional identity mm-hmm. uh and then i i think the one thing that um and i can't remember if i read it somewhere or if it was a client that told me this but they said you know listen to every idea that comes up when you're talking to your clients when you're talking to other people um you know in, in that professional environment because even if one of the ideas out of five is good then it was worth listening to all five to get to the one mm-hmm. good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's really true, right? Um, you know, sometimes you're going to be told a lot of stuff that you probably already do know. Um, but then there's going to be those little nuggets in there that are really, uh, really useful and, uh, and really helpful. And, um, and will be, uh, you know, sometimes can be a, a, a career changer, right, mm-hmm. in terms of what you want to do. So, so, you know, keeping your ear to the ground and really listening to your managers and the people that you work with, uh, uh, you know, I wish that I probably retained more advice that I got over those years, but um, you know, I guess the one in five listening role works as well. So. Yeah, no, the good stuff will stick. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. All right. No, thanks a lot, Chris, for taking part in this interview. I hope um, the audience got a lot of value out of it um, so, as much as I did. So, yeah. Thanks right. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Take care. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please check out other episodes and don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date for the future episodes. 
Also, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, whichever is applicable to you. To see past episodes, you can go to oldmandan.com slash podcasts. Also, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter on my blog, oldmandan.com slash newsletter. You can stay up to date with future podcast episodes that way. And included in the newsletter are my book reviews I write, my weekly article in the related to the domain of self-development systems, as well as seven things I learned throughout the week on being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Finally, special thanks to icons8.com for allowing me to use their music, Tiny People, on the podcast. Great. I will see you all next time. Take care.